Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello, and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business through traffic. And I am here alongside my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. We had an interesting guest when you were away. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. He was calling from the state of Israel, and he was under siege by apparently there were some rockets and missiles landing in his neighborhood. And we recorded without you. We missed you, by the way. But two minutes after we stopped recording, the bombing continued. So it's almost like the Middle East War, if they there is one conflict, let's say. They're perpetual traffic fans. They knew inherently to like stop the missiles during recording, which was so kind of them. Really? Yeah. You know, it makes sense. What we do here is so important, Ralph. I could see that being true. I wouldn't be surprised if we see further peace talks everywhere, globally. I think if we just do like 24-7 recording as a perpetual traffic, maybe there will be world peace. We'll just go live. Yeah. Divorce rates will drop. Child obesity will decline. Peace throughout the world. Peace in our time. Kind My of dad will stop divorcing women like... <laughs> That's a story we have to get into at some point. Kasim's backstory. Yeah. (laughs) Not today, but at some point in time. But yeah. We need an attorney on the call. That's right. Protect the guilty. (laughs) That's right. Protect the innocent. But yeah, it's good to know that not only are we spreading good information, we think, because we just got a good review, which I don't know. Sometimes these people that put in these reviews seem a little bit self-serving, but that's okay. I love that. I respect it. We're marketers, Ralph. Yeah. Why not? Why not? If you're going to get announced to a couple hundred thousand people on a monthly basis or however many millions of downloads we have, like, why not throw your company name in there? I mean, I'm all for it. Shameless promotion. Shameless plugs. So in addition to promoting world peace, apparently we're helping this guy. Maybe you can just rattle that off and mention some names here so we can get some more great reviews like this one. All right. So he's in Australia and I should be doing an Australian accent, but I can't. Please, please don't. Yeah. That probably gets into cultural appropriation territory. Though the Aussies Uh, are pretty cool about it. (laughs) Yeah. Simply the best. The world's best digital marketing podcast going around right now. Great detail, actionable info, and entertaining. Well done, guys. Keep up the great work. Five stars. I have our whole team at superfitgrow.io listening in for tips. P.S. Would be great to have a couple of episodes dedicated to your backstory on how you got started in the agency space. Ah, perfect lead-in. Username, I love Coke. I love Coke. Yeah. I choose to believe he's a soft drink fan. (laughs) Could go either way on that. I'm being optimistic today, Ralph. I believe the best in people. Uh, And that's not to denigrate anybody who loves Coke. There's there's plenty of people that love Coke out there. The non-bottled canned version of Coke. But that's, you know, hey, to each his own, whatever keeps you going. But no, superfit dot, like, let's say the URL again, so he can get the business out. S-U-P-A, super. Super. Fitgrow.io. That's awesome. All right. And what we really just did there is subliminally offer live shout outs if you give us good reviews. I don't know what we were doing there. I had no intent in that at all. Of course not. How could you? But smart market, we have a lot of smart marketers listening to this podcast. So I think they'll pick up on the non-verbal or the verbal cues. Grow your here. health fitness studio at Superfit Grow. That's fabulous. Well, I hope we get some business from it. So anyway, well, appreciate the reviews here. Appreciate everyone who does listen. We try to do our best. Like dad used to say, son, just do your best and be yourself. That's what he always used to say. That's what we're trying to do here at Perpetual Traffic. That wasn't my dad. My, <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my dad my said, you're not mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to be episode, I think, 500. I think we're just going to get into like the big episode. We're going to get into Cosm's backstory. 
Like how his agent, like everybody knows mine. We should do yours again. More has happened since then. You're an evolving person. It's true. I've evolved as a human. But yeah, you, I think it does involve some prison time and some hard labor, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then I turn nine. And then you turn nine. Yeah. All All before your 10th birthday. Look at that. So today, speaking of the law, we are going to actually get into a case study, which I'm pretty darn excited about, but I'm a little bit curious as to what your take is on it because you're Mm. a Google guy. It'd be even better if John Moran was on here because he'd probably like rip it to shreds. But I've had a lot of Google people look at this thing and analyze and like, this is really repeatable what you guys are doing. It's in a very tough niche and the success metrics are right on track. So I want you to pick it apart as much as you possibly can It's a case study that we're very proud of in the personal injury law space. And as you know, the search term mesothelioma is like the most expensive CPCs in history. It's crazy. So yeah, super tough niche. So if you're listening to this show and you're like, I'm in a tough niche, I sell CRM or software, SaaS or whatever, this is the toughest of the toughest niches as far as like expense when it comes to PPC, Google PPC. We're going to get into that case study here today. So before we get into that though, because it's all about me in this episode and it was all about Kobe in the last episode, your nugget du jour. Do you have a nugget? <laughs> nugget du jour. That sets yeah. the bar higher than I was expecting. I do. So I'm going at Twitter hard. And I'm loving it, by the way. I think, you know, I've said this before, but don't sleep on Twitter. I'm not making a political statement when I say this. After Elon took Twitter, I saw a really noted improvement just in engagement, growth, audience. I felt like he brought a lot of visibility back. That said, I've grown from effectively zero followers to almost 6,000 followers. I bought this kid's masterclass, this guy named Audit Sheth. I'm not an affiliate. And it was a great masterclass. The thing that he taught me, though, was the way to grow your Twitter following is through threads. And his yeah. recommendation was to write a thread a week. I chose to write a thread a day because I'm an overachiever, Ralph. Now, but here's what I did. And this is the nugget. And I think it's pretty brilliant. And I don't know anybody else who's done this, by the way. So this is genuine Qasem Aslam, copywritten. If you're watching the video, you'll be able to see this on my screen. If you're listening, I'll describe it to you. When you write a Twitter thread, a Twitter thread is a number of tweets strung together to tell a story. And they're great for how-tos, case studies, explanations, etc. The problem with threads, especially because I do so many of them, they're easily lost. And so somebody would have to scroll through the entirety of my profile in order to see all these amazing threads that I'm writing. The one that I posted yesterday, success is like a football game. And you know, there's 15 tweets here that kind of offer up the explanation of this analogy, but it's going to get lost in just a few days. What I did to keep all my threads intact is my pinned tweet, you can pin a tweet at the top of your profile, is called the thread of all threads. And what's cool about Twitter is it allows you to get meta. It's basically a table of contents for all my threads. And every time I write a new thread, I add it as a comment to the thread of all threads. And as I'm scrolling through here, you can see the very first one I did was back in February. And I've got what's going to end up being hundreds of threads, which is thousands and thousands of tweets. Now, here's what's really cool about it is when you look at the thread of all threads from a data perspective, I have 606,000 views, 606,000 views, 72 bookmarks, 49 retweets. It's just such a phenomenal resource to be able to point people to, especially because I stay pretty niche with my content. It's all marketing for sure, but a lot of it is Google specific. And so anybody who's interested in this would really be interested in the thread of all threads. It's like the resource of all resources, basically. So if you're in Twitter, number one, start writing threads because it is the way to grow. And number two, go pin a tweet to the top of your profile and make the thread of all threads because it just gives somebody a really easy way to follow you and get access to all the value you're providing and not have to cherry pick based off of, you know, when Twitter decides to put your content in front of them and when they don't. And you'll notice that, and this will be the last thing I say because I'm going for too long, but it actually gets second level visibility. So here's a thread I did called the marketing funnel, a cliche for a reason. And the tweet that I used to repost it has 448 views. But when you actually look at the thread, it has 1400 views. So it has the views that the thread got, but then it also has the views that the listing within the thread of all threads got. 
And I get a 30% pop just by adding it to this thread, which I thought was pretty, pretty smart. So that's my nugget for today. So is it pinned on your profile? It's pinned on my profile. Yeah. If you go to Twitter, if that's you go to my key. Twitter profile, Qasem Aslam, the very first tweet you see, no matter what, is, hey, I write a thread every day, mostly on advertising and entrepreneurship. Feel free to bookmark it. And then people do. And then, you know, if you wanted to promote something too, run ads to something, this would be the thing to promote. And so every new thread that you post, is it the comments or is it the thread itself that links back to the thread of threads? I add a comment inside of the thread of threads that links to the new thread. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's it's a little, little confusing until you see it. But once you see it, it makes a lot of sense. Think of it just as a table of contents for all of your threads. And the resource that you figured out how to do this on is no affiliate link, but say that one again. Oh, that's Audit Sheth. So he didn't teach me that. Audit just taught me how to grow on Twitter. And the reason I brought him up is because the thing he did teach me was, you know, hey, you can do a lot of things inside of Twitter, but the little hinge that swings the big door, threads. So go write threads. So I started writing threads, but because I got a little ambitious, you know, he said one a week, I do one a day. It kind of pissed me off that I'm like, man, I'm writing all these threads and then they're just going to get lost. Twitter's not searchable the way that YouTube is searchable, or at least people don't use it that way. I wanted to increase the longevity of my threads, which is why I created the thread of all thread. Got it. And Audit Sheth is A-A-D-I-T-S-H-E-T-H. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave links guy, in the show notes. He built a 250,000 person audience before he was 20. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And looking at his picture, that probably means last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He looks like a pretty young guy. Yeah. It's like Alaric Heck. What is he? 19 years old now? Yeah. Like, I don't even know how old he is. Yeah, he's a multimillionaire nine times over and he's built a SaaS company and a service company and two massive YouTube channels and... Yeah. Just in a day's work, you know? Oh, well. Well, all right. So we will leave links in the show notes. That's killer because you're a good follow on Twitter. I always say that. And obviously something that anyone who's especially interested in the marketing side, there's Google, but there's life and there's lots of other things in there too, which is very cool. So I know you've really doubled down on Twitter and been successful there. So I think that's super helpful as your nugget for this week because I think something has fundamentally changed with Twitter as soon as Musk bought it. It's all changed. Like I've got my blue check mark now, you know what I mean? But I don't do as much as you do, but it has become more of what it probably was meant to be. It swung back to a group conversation. That's what Twitter was for. You know, like we all get together and talk about something. It changed fundamentally. I think they tried to, honestly, I think they tried to make it more than it was. You know, they tried to compete with Facebook and that's not what it's here for. Yeah. It's not its real purpose. Yeah, he's done a great job. Say what you want about Elon. Number one, he's done a phenomenal job. Number two, he made himself ultra relevant in the AI discussion the minute he bought Twitter because he gave himself access to a data repository that's going to be absolutely invaluable. Using Twitter, they know when the cold is going to outbreak in your city. It's just a great place to go put your finger to the polls. Yeah. It's crazy how much information is there. Well, we will leave links in the show notes for all of that. And we're going to get into our personal injury lawyer case study, 628 signed cases, car accident cases, like really good cases for this personal injury law firm. We're going to get into that just after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. 
And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic. And I'm excited about this particular episode because I'm excited about case studies in general. I think this is where we really get to dive into the most amount of tangible value in the least amount of time. When we talk about concepts, they require so much scaffolding and context. When you talk about case studies, you get straight to the meat and the potatoes. So with that said, and without any further ado, Ralph, you've got a pretty killer case study here that I can't wait to lob as many rockets as I possibly can at. <laughs> to borrow a phrase from our Israeli friend, yeah. boy to band. put Kobe into flashback mode. Yeah, I'm going to try to tear this up, but I'm optimistic given what I know about you and my deep sense of respect for what you're capable of. Oh my God. Well, that's a great buildup, but rip away. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good one. We do a fair amount in the personal injury law space. I mean, this is a service-based business, which service-based companies, especially at scale, are one of our specialties. It's just one of those things we just do really, really well, which is great. Like a lot of agencies sub-niche down into law or they sub-niche into like SaaS or digital or whatever, or e-commerce. You can't do an internet search without getting into an agency that does e-commerce. Like they all do that. But you got to ask yourself, what's best for my business? And I think also you can learn from other businesses. That's the, one of the reasons why we've never niched into a specific area is that we learn from digital. We learn from e-commerce. We learn from services. We learn from charities. Like we talked about charities a lot in the last episode with Kobe. I think if you narrow yourself to just one area, I think you lose some of the learning here. And I think even if you're not a personal injury lawyer listening to this show or the marketing director of a personal injury law firm or a law firm in general, if you're a service-based business, all this applies the same way. Especially if you have really expensive traffic. Yeah. Look at it this way. We paid seven, eight, nine hundred dollars per click in some cases, which we don't really talk about here, but in some cases we did do that. And it's okay because we had this tracking thing set up, which I'll get into in just a second. So if it works for a super expensive niche like this, it could potentially work for yours. So here is, and we're actually doing this on a screen share here today. So this will be up on YouTube, hopefully eventually. And this is the real goods. As you can see, this is not a Photoshopped screen. You probably recognize this. What are we looking at here, Kasim? This is an image created in mid-journey. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd back me up on that one. Pretends that Ralph is producing amazing results. No, this is a screenshot of Google Ads. And we see a time frame. And you know what I really like about this, Ralph? And I'm going to pause here. Anytime anybody's ever showing you a case study of an ad account, make sure they're not gerrymandering the time frame because I can always give you a three or seven or even 21 day look where everything looks amazing. But to zoom out, like you have it from September 1, 2022 to March 31st, 2023, it's a huge time frame. That means that we've established proof of concept and found stasis. And in so doing, we now see the results, which I'll turn back over to you, Ralph. So we were doing a bunch of stuff in the personal injury space at this point in time and testing out one of the big levers that moved the needle. And one of these things was that we know that Google takes a bit of time to learn. And the results prior to September 1st were pretty good. This is when things really started to kick in. We were getting good results all of last summer, but it's like the more Google learns, especially here, and then we folded in Facebook. That's the beauty of it. We started Google, rolled in the meta platforms, and then everything sort of accelerated together in what we call traffic harmonization. And so we're seeing the end result of a lot of pre-work, but it's September of last year, sustained to very early on this year through March. This is not a one-hit wonder by any stretch. And it continues to produce these types of results. So 628 signed cases, that's the big thing. And signed cases are what these types of attorneys actually want. But 
they don't necessarily want slip and fall and workman's comp cases, which don't really do a whole lot for their law firm from a financial perspective. Obviously, a lot of firms do take those. These guys were really interested in just auto accidents. They're interested in car accident cases because they know that's what their specialty really is. And they were able to get this type of result based upon the learnings from Google, which, like I said, did take a while to sort of start kicking in. So how we did it is actually using a framework that we call customer acquisition amplification, which I've talked to you about plenty of times here. We're looking at four different ways, and I'll actually shoot to full screen here so I can get my really snazzy graphics going. Um, I was going to pick on you for the graphics. The customer acquisition amplification model, I think, is brilliant. And I've seen it a couple of times because you've shown me. But this Windows 98 graphic that you have, Ralph, this is shameful. There's somebody on your team that can fix this. I know that's true. Yeah. Well, we don't really show the outside world, although we're showing it here. It's just, we act- just the blow to morale for somebody on your team to have to look at this, I think is... <laughs> but we use all of this for yeah. everything that we do, everything that we build. So it has all these different sections to it, creative lab, tracking and measurement, uh, Dude, traffic this alone is a masterclass. If somebody were really to look at the, like this is how you market any business effectively, is this system. It's genius. This is the template. This is the machine that sort of drives everything. It's like the internal workings of the machine. And then there's the conversion architecture, which is sort of the after the click component. This is the whole super system. And maybe we'll leave some links in the show notes if you want to download it. I believe we do actually have it at tier11.com forward slash camp, C-A-A-M-P. We'll leave links in the show notes for that. So the first thing that we had to do with these guys was make a diagnosis. And this diagnose, prescribe, implement, and then iterate solution is one of the things that we do for everyone. And I think it's what everyone should do, not just dive in and start doing stuff. Let's figure out exactly what the problem is. You guys do this over at Solutions Aid as well. You do sort of a growth plan that says, all right, here's where your baby's ugly. Here's where we can fix it. So the diagnosis for us was pretty straightforward. They really had no idea who their avatar was specifically. So their ads were really, really ineffective. They were talking just all about brand, how great they were, as opposed to talking to the avatar and what they were actually sort of thinking and feeling at a particular point in time in their client journey, whether or not they had just experienced a car accident or whether they were sitting on the couch months later and all of a sudden medical bills are piling up and all kinds of things are going on with them from a health perspective. So they were also spending a fair amount on Google ads. They're spending anywhere between one to $2 million on Google ads in the previous year. And they really didn't have any idea as to what was working because they didn't have the right conversion tracking in place. And it wasn't optimizing as a result of that. Google's algorithm was not optimizing for what they really wanted most, which is all personal injury lawyers want signed cases. Yeah, they want the phone to ring. They want applications. They want their intake people to be busy. But at the end of the day, you have to have signed cases to turn into actual settlements that help the client and obviously are financially viable for the personal injury lawyer. So if you don't know the personal injury space, I'm sure you all see like the TV ads, the billboard ads, you know, you pay nothing until we win that kind of thing. It's all based upon this idea of we're going to work for you for a settlement, typically out of court, sometimes in court, sort of depends on the law firm. And then the law firm itself gets anywhere from 30 to 40% of the settlement amount. And that's how they make their money. It's called on contingency. But the point is, is that's sort of how it works. But if you don't have the tracking in place, you're never going to know if you're getting the types of cases that turn into actual dollars for the client and dollars for the law firm. Dude, this is the biggest. We do thousands of account audits. And the single biggest mistake we see, if you're a CMO or director of marketing, this is a pause the podcast moment and go call whoever runs your ad campaigns, internal or freelancer agency. The biggest mistake we see is inadequate tracking. That doesn't mean necessarily that it's technically inadequate. Maybe you're tracking conversions. So that's a potentially problem. But it can also mean that you're tracking the wrong thing. And in this instance, Ralph, you're making a really good point, which is we don't want just phone calls, form fills, or appointments. We want signed cases. Is that being tracked in app? And can you optimize for it in app? And if not, you're not giving the trillion dollar machine learning driven hunting dog a sniff of the right stuff. Yeah. 
which is Google, by the way, if you weren't following Cosm's line of rationale there. But the algorithm is as smart as you give it instructions to be smart. I know right. that's not very articulate, but... No, it's as good as you make it. Trash in, trash out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were doing an audit this week for a client that I was on a customer call with, and they were optimizing for the wrong thing. They were optimizing for add to cart. They didn't even realize it. Dude, I see that so often. You know, Shopify's Google Ads integration automatically creates the conversion events. And for a lot of Shopify instances, and I don't understand why this happens, but a lot of Shopify instances, when Shopify does that, it makes every one of those conversion events a primary conversion action inside of Google Ads, which means you start to optimize for view product, add to cart, begin checkout, like a bunch of actions that are not monetizable and you think that they mean a purchase. So every time somebody's viewed a product, or added it to the cart, Shopify reports it as a purchase to Google Ads. And now Google starts to say like, oh, I'm doing great. Let me do more of that. And people have no idea that it's happening. So again, business owners, CMOs, director of marketing, whoever, you don't need to know this stuff, but you need to know that the person who's running it knows this stuff. Go beat up on them and make them show you. If they can't explain it simply, they don't understand it. Yeah, for sure. And if you listen to last week's episode with Kobe, we talk about a pre-conversion event to prime the pump. So there is time when you should optimize for traffic objective 100%. on meta ads and button clicks. If that is how you are taking them through the customer acquisition path or the customer journey. But in this case, we weren't doing that. We were using primarily Google. Like we started off with all Google ads. And then after that, added even more fuel to the fire with Facebook ads and meta ads. Very, very different. If you listen to that show from last week, very different objectives than what we're talking about here. There is no one size fits all. And a lot of those customers actually had Google ads running as well. It was just that Meta was the primary. This is Google at its best, really, in sort of bringing it all together. And in their case, they were optimizing for the wrong thing. But most importantly, they weren't telling Google who they wanted to find. So what they were doing is they were optimizing for leads and phone calls, but they were getting workman's comp and slip and fall cases. And in their particular case, they're mostly motor vehicle accidents. That's something that we do pretty, pretty well here at Tier 11. And all the other cases, they have to sort of refer those out. So they're paying for them and then referring them out. Maybe they get some kind of relational equity from another law firm, or maybe they use some kind of percentage structure. But the point is, is a lot of those leads they were telling Google, just go out and find me people who are just going to click on my ad, give me a call, fill out a lead form, as opposed to find me car accident cases. And as a result of that, they were sort of missing the mark, which is what this slide is all about. So the other part to this is that they weren't doing any Facebook or Instagram. They had tried social in the past, but they decided, and we see this all the time, custom, like, yeah, Facebook ads just don't work, especially with Google heavy customers. That's fine. I think they both have their place. In some cases, maybe not. Maybe one more than the other. But what they were really doing is they were showing just a bunch of generic types of ads and they couldn't really differentiate leads from Facebook between Facebook ads and through Google ads. So they really had no way of tracking anything through Facebook. And what we ended up doing is we set up call extensions and unique Facebook telephone numbers and that kind of stuff. But they really had no idea of what they were actually doing. After the click, we're talking about like super antiquated landing pages. And this is almost every single personal injury lawyer that we see. It's like just too much stuff on the page, outdated looking, confusing above the fold structure, confusing copy, no trust badges, just really looking like one of these old computers from like the 70s or 80s. And unfortunately, that was something that we were able to fix. And in most cases, we fix that after we start to gain momentum on the ads. So it's not the first thing that we do oftentimes. It's we then add it in to add even more fuel to the fire, which is exactly what we did to get these types of results. So 628 cases at $1,518, 75 cents each car accident cases. So the prescription from our perspective was, okay, what do we do first? And this is sometimes the question. It's like when you work with an agency, and obviously we're coming from an agency perspective here, but if you're a director of marketing or a VP of marketing, you got to kind of figure out, all right, what is my team going to do first, second, third in order to get me where I need to be, to look good for the boss or hit the numbers or whatever it happens to be. So when we think about this, we go back to customer acquisition amplification. So this is that framework that we use. It's modular. 
and they will layer in certain parts to it over time. So as you can see in the image here, like the first thing, even though it's not the top, but the first thing that we actually did was set up the tracking and the measurement. That's the first thing. Before we touched an ad, we had to do that. And then we kind of went back and we did more creative lab research, which we'll get into in just a second. Then we started running traffic. So we laid the foundation first for the first two, three months. It took a while. Awesome. Even four months on some of the tracking was really sort of complex. And then we started changing things up on the traffic side. And then later on, in the latter part of last year, we started to implement more conversion architecture after the click. So we use this system as sort of a modular super system. Now, I know you do this. So the first step was that we had to fix the tracking. And one of the big things is deploying this thing called offline tracking. I don't know how much you guys have done with this in the past, but we're finding this, especially when you have ads at scale or larger spends, is a game changer. What's mm -hmm. your sense on offline tracking? It's phenomenal as long as the ability to identify the value of the prospect exists within a 90-day window, because that's the length of the GCLID's utility lifespan. We've had a couple of clients where this would have been a game changer, but you know their sales cycle is 18 months long and you just can't bring the data back. You can in some ways you know, within your own CRM, but it's hard to feed back into Google. So it's a dangerous thing to over-rely on, but when it works, if you hit that sweet spot, that window, like, oh my goodness, dude, you're just many multiples ahead of the curve because now Google can optimize against the actual value of a prospect and potentially the LTV, which by the way, I encourage people to lie to Google. If you don't have all the data yet, but you have predictive indications that a prospect is going to be really good and you want to land within that 90-day time period, drop that in. Go for it. Over-index because depending obviously heavily on how confident you are on that prognostication, you're just going to go ask Google for more of those people. Yeah, for sure. The 90-day window is a huge one. And we'll see this inside the meta side of the equation is offline conversions with a 90-day window is also a game changer there as well. But it is limited by that 90-day window. I think if these platforms could go longer windows, you'd be able to include probably more businesses in using offline conversions. In this particular case, the offline conversion typically would happen within a couple of weeks. Yep. So that's pretty good. It's a perfect timeline. And in fairness, I think most businesses are like that. Most businesses know like, oh, this lead became a client. They know within 90 days. Now, you don't necessarily know, for instance, what that case was worth. You know, they didn't get a settlement and a check, which would be great, but they've got something. They got something. They got something. So they know what the value of a signed case is. And if they can assign a numerical value to the signed case amount, they know with a pretty high degree of accuracy, that's going to back out. And the average is, like I said, if you look, depending on the state, in this particular group of states, which we serviced, it was anywhere between twelve dollars and $25,000 per case. Is that profit to the law firm or is that total settlement? So that's total settlement. And then they get 30% of that. Yeah, 30 to 40% of that. So they're pretty accurate as far as being able to know what a good signed case amount is. And we've seen that in the personal injury space, anywhere between $1,000 to $2,000 is really pretty good. Anything under $5,000 typically is also good, but you're doing that at a much larger scale. So you're including the multi-million dollar settlements, custom, which like don't happen every single day, but it's the ones that ask, you hear about. How many of those exist? Is it one in 20 settlements, one in 50, one in a hundred? No way to know. That's a good question. I always say it's probably one in a hundred is my guess. Yeah. And if it's less than that, then... Depending on how many you get, you can really factor that into your cost per acquisition. We used to do this with real estate investing. The average wholesale deal was only worth 11 grand, but we had investors that would pay 10 grand for a closed deal because they did so much volume that when they did get the multi-million dollar property, that's what they banked on. That was their real business was let me kill all these little rabbits while I'm hunting elephants. Mm. Yeah. The little guys sort of sustain you. Right. Until you get the big payoff, right? Yeah. The and little guys just, just help pay for the traffic until the big payoff comes in. And then the big payoffs for them were massive. Right. So, I mean, if you're looking at a $10,000 average case settlement, you're getting three, four grand, you're paying 1500 for it. Like that's, that's cutting it close. I mean, gross profitability wise, it's maybe 50%. But obviously, these guys have lots of overhead. In this case, pretty extensive staff. But then you get the couple of million dollar case all of a sudden, 
And that's the thing that really makes things move forward and turns you into a, from a small law firm into a mid then large size law firm. So yeah, I don't know what the averages are, but I'm just sort of averaging that out. But if you do the raw math, this does work. And these guys know that four or $5,000 a case is good, but anywhere between 1000 and 2000 is actually really, really good. So on the slide here, we can see inside customer acquisition amplification, what the tracking and measurement really looks like. We're not going to get into all the details there. But the big part was is that they didn't have tracking set up for what we refer to as like booked calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like actual real people who are going to potentially have a settlement, an actual case, not a slip and fall case that might be worth a couple hundred bucks to the law firm. These are actual car accident cases. So the Google tracking, offline conversion tracking wasn't set up, but conversion tracking wasn't set up correctly, even for signed cases. They were really just pumping the algorithm for calls and appointments or calls and form fills. And that was really the extent of it, which is fine. If you play a numbers game, you get enough calls. That's great. But remember, you're feeding the algorithm like, just find me more of these calls. And it's not the thing that you really want, which is the signed case. And I can't emphasize that enough. And if you're an, an attorney or you're in the services industry, I just need more leads. Well, you don't necessarily need more leads. You need the <laughs> right you? kind of leads. Right. And that's what the algorithm can do for you once it's at scale. And like I said, before we launched anything, any single ads, we took a lot of time fixing and firing and making sure that the algorithm was being fed properly prior to doing anything because we didn't want to start pissing in the pool, so to speak. We wanted to make sure that the right conversion metric was in place. So does I mean, that make so sense? Important. Yeah. It reminds me of that Abe Lincoln quote, you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. So many people just want to drive traffic. And it's like, all right, best of luck to you. But if you actually set the foundation up, then you're in a position where the traffic that you're driving can optimize over time and work to your benefit. Yeah, that's absolutely it. I think everyone is, myself included, like we're results-oriented, like type A personalities. We want to get shit done like now. But sometimes that's not the best course of action. That's when you sort of end up missing the tree and chopping yourself in the femur, which you don't want to do. So they were spending a fair amount on ads and really didn't know exactly where that spend was being allocated or if it was working for them at all. So that was the first step. So the first step is set up tracking. So like I said, this takes for us anywhere between a month to two months in some cases, depending on the complexity of it. That's a long time for people to wait. It really is. But we're doubling down on our data team because this is so important. That side of the equation can't be understated. It's not really the sexy side of what we talk about on the show. It's like, do your tracking. It's like having Mercer come on the show and say, hey, you should have measurement should be a department, not an action or I forget what his actual phrase is, but he's right. That it's sounded just like Mercer, by the way. Yeah, that was Mercer. I felt like I had like the blonde hair going there for a second, but all right. So tracking is important. We set that up. And so the next thing we wanted to do is, all right, now we can start running some ads. So we're deploying the traffic harmonizer here. And the first thing that we did is on Google platforms, not using meta yet. And as you know, Google is kind of smart. Google knows a lot of stuff about you, Kasim. I've heard that, Ralph. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that, but- No, this is yeah, news. This is news to you. So- our friends over at Best VPN, I think, have a really good infographic on exactly how much they know about you. They have 72 million data points, from what I hear from some guy named Kasim. And they know who you are. They know what you look like. They know what your kids look like. They know what your diet restrictions are. They know how healthy you are. They know where you've been, where you live, where you work, where you've traveled, where you visit, where you plan on traveling. They know where your friends are. They know that me and you are friends. They know how fast you drive. And if you drive after you've like gone to a bar, because they know you've been to the bar and then you get in your car and then they track you through Waze or Google Maps. The point is that they know so much about you. They know about your future plans. They know what you're thinking about buying. So they know all of this because Google is the internet, Kasim. I don't know if you knew this or not. Like Google's the most prolific thing on the internet. I mean, there's just nothing that is as it has so many tendrils, browsers and search engines and apps and analytics, and it's just everywhere. You can't get away from it. Yeah. And it knows all these things about you because, yeah, I think it was you who intercepted that famous memo of 72 million, say it. 
72 million demographic and psychographic profiling factors. Here's what's scary about this data point. Google, this was on the homepage of the YouTube ads landing page and Google pulled it. And so I was asked for a citation on this and the only ones I can find are third party. Google no longer offers this data themselves. I think for obvious reasons, the fact that they published it maybe was a little short-sighted. They were trying to tell advertisers like, hey, look at all the stuff we can target by. And then some smart antitrust attorney said, hey, why don't we not share this data anymore? Let's take that down. Yeah. I do have a screenshot of it somewhere though. I need to go find that because I can use it as blackmail someday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the point is, even if it's not 72 million, let's say it's a million, just for argument's sake. Isn't that Dude, a lot of data points? How could it not be 72 million? How could, how it, could not it not be? be? Yeah. I mean, you think about it. We're all on Google Maps and Waze. Google knows when I go to Worcester State University and how fast I drive. Mm-hmm. And I go there usually on Saturday mornings to go to a baseball game. I stay there for like three or four hours, and then I drive back and I speed back. Husband, I've some, seen your car. I know you're speeding. That's right. It knows that I pick up lunch at New Kitchen. And then, you know, I stop at the Sunoco station on exit 17. And it knows like everything about me. And that's just one day of my life, let alone like all the apps that I use. The apps well, dude, that I use. It knows when you get into an accident, right? All of a sudden your car stopped where it shouldn't be stopped. You're sending text messages, making phone calls. The insurance company sends you an email update. So if a personal injury attorney is going after you, like Google wouldn't admit that it's allowing targeting by this, but you know that it could if Never. it wanted to. Of course. The funny thing in that, you know, me traveling to Worcester State University, well, well, the season's over now. Apparently, they lost their first playoff game, Cossum, so I won't be going there. But the point is, is Google knows if I'm using apps while I'm driving. Hmm. Google Google knows if I'm texting. Google knows if I'm using email. They know all of this stuff when I'm not driving. But think about how helpful that information might be when it comes to personal injury, car accident attorneys. And this is one niche. Think about your niche for your business and how much Google knows about your potential ideal customer profile. Chances are the same type of knowledge can be launched and leveraged for your business, even if you're not a personal injury lawyer, but especially if you are a personal injury lawyer, because it knows all of this stuff. So it's almost like it can predict when people are going to have accidents. And that's the thing that's most astounding. The eye is out there all the time watching you. And if you're going to a bar, then you are still, you're being tracked all the time through your phone. And then you drive out on the highway and you're driving 80 or 90 miles an hour. You're more likely potentially to be in a car accident. Google knows this stuff. So when you start to leverage this algorithm to find car accident cases for a personal injury lawyer, you're leveraging those 72 million data points. And that's the most fascinating thing about this whole thing. 90-day conversion window, yeah, offline conversions, blending the traffic. But when you really think about like how powerful Google is, it's unbelievable to me. Still to this day, I'm blown away at how much they know about every human. And as a marketer, it's the greatest thing in the world. If you're freaked out, you're probably not a marketer. It's my guess. What's interesting about everything that you just said, it only works if you're tracking properly. So you <laughs> only get to take advantage of that unbelievable big brotherness if you're giving Google the information it would need to identify the common denominators we're talking about. Good point. If you're not tracking properly, you're not leveraging all those data points. You and I see that all the time. Like, ah, Google doesn't work for me, or Google's too expensive, or Facebook's too expensive. Well, it's probably because you haven't done the groundwork to start. It's the boring stuff. I say it over and over again, but it's the stuff that really matters. So in this particular case, we use this 90-day conversion window, which is amazing because in the personal injury law space, a typical lead flows sort of similar to what you see on the screen here. So, you know, we start off with the search for the car accident lawyer, and then you click on an ad. And then it opens up into your phone and you're actually making a phone call. And then you talk to somebody on the other end and then they intake your form through either an application or some sort of manual process, enter you into their CRM. And then they review the case and determine whether or not it is a signed case, an actual case that can lead to a settlement at one point in time, whether it's immediate or whether it's years from now. This is a really important part to this whole thing, how the lead flows and as a personal injury law firm once told me, he's like, lead and take is everything. And that's why we have 24-7 coverage. We don't want to miss a single one. And we need to staff it with somebody who is a law professional. 
not just somebody who's going to take a message. Like it's in the zero moment of truth. Somebody's calling in right after an accident. That person needs to be able to intake, ask the right questions and assess very quickly whether or not there is a viability for the case. And like I said, sometimes this takes minutes. We talked to a PI firm this week. There's like, how long does that take for you guys? Well, a couple of minutes. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks for more complex cases to figure out, okay, who's actually potentially at fault? Where's the insurance money? A lot of different factors that go into it. I don't know everything about every little detail of personal injury, but sometimes they do take a little bit longer. And that's why the 90-day conversion window is so important because if it is a couple of weeks, let's say it's three or four weeks, Google will be able to attach that conversion event, that signed case conversion event, and then track it back to feed the algorithm so that the algorithm will then show the ads to the right types of people who are more prone or have a higher likelihood of having a signed case and a monetary settlement, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just stop me, Ralph, again, if I go too far afield. They're also the clients that are more likely to sign with you specifically. So this is contextualized to your service-based business. Because Google's segmenting people demographically and psychographically, there's a certain type of person that you appeal to. And you're telling Google, hey, these are the people that I'm closing. And who knows why, you know, maybe it's more people from your alma mater or more people in a certain age group or more people of a certain gender, but Google's going to index in whatever direction you're seeing success. It's not a generic optimization. It's an ultra-specific optimization based off of the success you're seeing. And I think that's really relevant just to understand kind of the philosophy behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think a whole lot of people understand that. I think it's a deeper level of understanding. And you don't necessarily need to understand it all or understand the why. Just know that it's there. Right. Yeah, just know (laughs) that it works. Just know that it works. Have confidence in the 72 million data points. All right. Maybe it's not 72 million. Maybe it's a million. Still, that's a lot. That's the most powerful platform in the universe to find your ideal customer. I mean, I'm even saying it's more powerful than Facebook, which it is. Really, if you look at it, it's 1,800 times more powerful because Facebook and Meta have 55,000 data points and it's in-app. Granted, they do follow you around the internet and everything else and track exactly where you're going because everyone has the app on all the time. I get it. But for marketers, it's still... Oh, you know, Facebook isn't the same that it was three years ago. Yeah, maybe it isn't, but it's still pretty damn powerful. And it's getting more and more powerful every day. Dude, I think Facebook's viability has improved since iOS 14. There was obviously a dramatic dip, but it's the same thing that happened. Forgive the analogy. I promise you, I'm not taking a jab at Facebook. It's the same thing that happened to direct mail. Direct mail was saturated, became a dumpster fire. And then every advertiser left direct mail at once. And now it's one of the more profitable things quite a few of my clients do. I've got a guy in my mastermind. He does $50 million a year in roofing. He's in every single marketing channel you can possibly think of. And he tells me there's not a close second direct mail. It produces the best leads, the highest quality leads, the most consistently. And I think Facebook is similar in that so many people left that it became the red ocean became a blue ocean. It certainly has. I think the ways in which you win on Meta have changed. I think the straight post an image and then get some really cool targeting and then you'll sell stuff. That worked seven, eight, nine years ago. Great. Still worked a bit three, four years ago. Now you got to be a little bit more intentional because there is that element of, yes, you need repetition, whether it's 500 impressions or it's seven impressions. I don't know which it is, but I know it's more than one. And I think that's where Facebook really, really works now. And I think that's where direct mail works. It's like you get the same roofing guy's brochure in the mail every couple of weeks. Eventually, that is gonna, you're going to need a new roof. When you see it on the first time, you're not in market for the roof. But as soon as your roof starts to leak, you're like, who was that guy? Or you maybe even remember it. Maybe he's created brand equity because he appears in your mailbox, not your inbox, your mailbox every couple of weeks. Whatever works to get stuff done, and we have a lot of direct mail, very successful, like eight-figure companies that figured it out on direct mail. And then they said, okay, let's figure it out on online. And that's a great way to do it. You can scale up online after being successful offline because you've already figured out like what resonates with people that love those types of clients for us. But yeah, it's like the old school is now new school in a lot of ways. 
So law firms, in most cases, don't really sort of understand this whole shift in paradigm here, but we do find that with Google's offline conversions tracking, we can still send that success signal back to Google, even if an accident happened within 90 days. So, you know, in other words, we train Google to bid on searches that have the highest chance of becoming signed cases through those data points, through the algorithm, through the machine learning, even if it's several weeks or even months after the first case was approved. So it does, for that 90-day window, sometimes the case review process does take longer. And the 90-day review, 90-day conversion window plus offline tracking, tracking the signed case. Remember, an offline conversion is something that is entered offline, not online. It's entered into a CRM. And then that CRM event is then either zapped back into Google or it's automatically uploaded. And that's the thing that you have to figure out. The meat of it that needs to be done almost manually. And it does take some time because in in the personal injury space, there's lots of different softwares working all at the same time. Call Rail, and then they've got their CRM, and then they've got their database, and they've got their intake software. So you have to have all the softwares really working together. And if you can do that within the 90-day window, plus this offline conversion event, all of a sudden things really start to come together. That is part one of our two-part show here. A lot to discuss on this personal injury law case study. And remember, if you're a service-based business or an e-commerce business or a digital products business, like a lot of the stuff that we discuss in these case studies, think about how they can apply to you. And take these concepts. And that's one of the best things, I think, with regard to the work that I do personally, is that you can pull from lots of different industries, lots of different types of businesses, cross-pollinate them. It's amazing what you can do when you take some knowledge from another industry and apply it to your own. Henry Ford did that with the assembly line. He basically stole the idea for the assembly line, which revolutionized the auto industry from the meatpacking industry. Gutenberg discovered the first known printing press in the 1430s by remembering from his childhood how wine and olives were pressed. So you never actually know when you're going to get your great idea. So take these case studies and start applying them in your business. And if you're a director of marketing or a VP of marketing, ask your team about some of the concepts that we talk about in these case studies. So really appreciate you listening here today. Make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening. Let us know what we can do better. We're always looking for ways to improve the show. And you can do that over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better or leave us a review or a critique or some kind words. Obviously, we'll mention you on the air here as well. And go back and listen to previous episodes and check out our YouTube channel, especially Perpetual Traffic. Look for the YouTube channel that has myself and Custom Smiling Faces on it. And definitely check out those videos there, especially this one, which is going to be posted with all the stuff that we're talking about through the whole presentation. And all resources and show notes, of course, are over at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic 